Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of Wellness in the Workplace. So my name is Mbali Mzinyane, and I am your host. Wellness in the Workplace is a podcast that aims to equip new and experienced professionals with the tools and insights to navigate challenging workplace dynamics. And we are wrapping up season two of the podcast with a final episode of our series, My Career Story. So My Career Story has been a series where we've interviewed women from different walks of life, just asking them about their career journeys, how they got to where they are today, some of the challenges they've had to overcome to get to where they are today, and some key milestones that have added to their success. And on this final episode for this season, we are chatting to an award-winning clinical psychologist and founder of Journal Q, which is a platform that's dedicated to providing mental health tools for everyday wellness. We're speaking to Asanda Madi, and uh, we're talking all things mental health, wellness. Uh, we're talking about her journey in clinical psychology and also just her venture, Journal Q, and what it represents and symbolizes for everyday mental wellness. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I do want to give a public disclosure that this is the second time we are recording this episode. <laughs> and you've been so gracious with your time, um, you know, just to come back and re-record despite our like technical difficulties. So I really, really appreciate you being here and appreciate the fact that we're just like closing off on such an important topic um, and also mm-hmm. on the last day of mental health month which is october so i'm looking forward to our chat um but yeah before we get into the detail of our discussion i want to know a little bit more about you for our listeners for our viewers to get to know who asanda is where you're from and how your upbringing has really just contributed to the woman that you are today sure (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to, to get through. There's been a lot of years. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. I am born and bred in Pumalanga, mm-hmm. Malo to be specific. Yeah, yeah. I went to boarding school in Altsbrate, mm-hmm. also in Pumalanga. Mm-hmm. I was raised in a typically um, neurotic or typically nuclear family mom dad me and a younger brother okay my dad passed away when i was or rather in 2004 Mm -hmm. after being ill basically the whole year Mm. um and who left then my mom who was a 35 year old widow Mm. and i think the death of a parent in particular Mm. definitely changes the structure and functionality of a family sure so a lot of things changed after that Mm. um my childhood was good i really started off well Mm. in this world Mm -hmm. Um, but there have been moments of fear there have been moments of anger frustration hurt because of decisions that my parents made obviously as a child but i am grateful that i was raised by educated parents who are both educators and who are also quite promoter like quite promoters of um, education themselves. Mm. They really did push us to aim high. I think I had no audacity really to go to the schools that I went to at the times that I went to. But my mom was always quite 
decided on the fact that school will happen mm. even though we need to let go of some things here ask people for help sure but school will happen mm. um i think i mean at this point i don't even think she finished paying my high school yeah, um, yeah. but when i went to varsity she didn't say no just take a gap here let me figure myself out she was just like okay so what's the next step what do you want to do and mm. she made it happen mm. which is something i'm quite thankful for mm. i think she's quite a dreamer yeah. which is something i've developed as well yeah you dream high you dream far yeah and you you never disbelieve that yeah. those things could be in your reality mm, i and love that yeah. i love that i was about to ask that um how do you think your childhood contributed to the women that we're seeing today um and you know you touching on the fact that your mom's, I guess, belief in dreaming and dreaming big has contributed to that. But outside of that, in the day-to-day of how you navigate this world, how do you think some of the experiences from your childhood have contributed to how you show up in the world? Well, I'm a firstborn mm. female, so I'm definitely parentified. Okay. Um, I did grow up very quickly, especially mm. as someone who decided to go to to live three and a half hours away from home mm. at the age of 13. Mm. Um, so I am quite independent. My mom says I'm hyper-independent okay. to the extent <laughs> that she didn't really know how to even raise me as a child. Because I would, exactly, because I would just want to do everything by myself. Mm. So there's that aspect. Um, I think that's what comes out the most, actually. Mm. Um, maybe that the hyper-independence and being a bit parentified yeah 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 so you're in matric now you are deciding that you want to go to university how do you decide what it is that you wanted to study had you even heard of clinical psychology before deciding that you wanted to go pursue your studies further it was a whirlwind. I think mm. I took the long route. Mm-hmm. Um, when I applied initially for university, I wanted to do computer science. Okay, okay. Two weeks before I went to university, I found myself just thinking about, is this the thing that I would want to be doing in mm. 10 years' time? Mm-hmm. Would I want to be up at 4 a.m. trying to make a program run? Sure. And the answer was no. Okay. So I frantically tried to change my degree, but at that point, obviously, I couldn't. Mm. So I still stayed within the sciences, but then I was able to chop and change my subject okay. so that I was able to take psychology as an elective. Okay, okay. Yeah. I didn't know you were able to actually do that. You can. So I did mm. a BSc general okay. instead of a specific okay. um, degree, mm-hmm. similar to like a BA general or BCom general, mm. where you do choose different majors and minors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you do this all the way up to third year? Yes. Okay, okay. And then what was the decision maker for you to say, I am pursuing the psychology route? Um, this is what I almost want to say, what I'm called to do. But I don't want to say that because I saw a post of yours recently where you said that um, being a psychologist is a career and not necessarily a calling. So I'll refrain from calling it that. (laughs) But what made you decide that, okay, I'm sticking to this. Um, This is the thing that I want to pursue and explore when it comes to my vocation. Well, it can be a calling Mm. initially. Mm. However, the skills that you develop as you grow as a professional, we hope that those will help you 
distinguish between when it's supposed to be a career okay. dictated move or when it's supposed to be a calling inspired move. Okay. So I do think it was a calling initially. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. there's certain personality traits that I have that I think did put me in a good way when it came to choosing this particular career. Mm. Um, so I think even my educational psychologist actually had recommended that I look into this rather than what I had chosen. Mm-hmm. But after the third, the three-year degree, you then apply for honors. Yeah. I think by yeah. the time I was doing the three-year degree, I was sure that I wanted to be a psychologist. Mm. The kind of psychologist, maybe not so much. Mm-hmm. I didn't really even then know the options that I had, like from forensic psychology to clinical to counseling to educational, um, industrial psychology. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought that far, but I definitely knew even from the three-year degree that I wanted to do psychology. Mm. So then after that, obviously, is the honors process, which is one year. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough to get into master's yeah. straight after, yeah. which yeah. is also a two-year process yeah yeah so speaking of masters i mean we know that it is quite a competitive and stringent process to get into a master's degree um, specifically for clinical psychology so i want you to take us back to that point where you are applying where you are preparing and you are readying yourself um, to just take on this a leap of faith, but also the stringent process that could potentially even um, break you down to some extent psychologically um, because of the level of of depth and detail that is required um, when you do go through that process. I didn't really prepare that much. Mm -hmm. I think I didn't want to psych myself out. Okay. But I did have regular debriefing throughout the week. So if you know anyone who's been through that process, it's a five-day interview process. Yeah, so you go through multiple interviews, Mm. you go through role plays, Mm. you go through group activities that are also meant to give a picture of you in a group setting and how Mm. you mesh well with other people, Mm. what kind of role you take on in group settings. So that is a five-day day all day process sure sure, um, sure and i don't really think there's much you can do to prepare yourself i mean you, you can ask around in terms of what can i what can i do here what should i prepare for in mm. terms of questions i can start thinking about mm. but in terms of the emotional labor yeah. of that week the stress mm. of that week mm. um i don't think anything can prepare you for that yeah. but you definitely need a space where you can debrief i think daily mm. so i had a mentor that i mm. called after every day mm. just to speak through this is what happened today this is how yeah. i answered yeah and i think anyone who's been through an interview you always think it went worse than you think i mean than it actually did yeah so you always going through the questions like, oh, I should have said this and I should have, uh, no. Mm, so it was mm. that whirlwind that whole week of I should have said this, or I should have done this, or I hope that they get to um, ask me this so I can prove this, or show this side of myself. Yeah, yeah, so there's a lot yeah. of that spiraling. Yeah. And then Friday comes and they let you know that you've made it so in a you class know, of 12. So you know by the end of the week, 
it's not a matter of you yes. waiting. You don't for... spend a weekend oh, wow. wondering oh, wow. what's going okay. to happen. Okay. No, I think okay. that's mercy on their yeah. side. <laughs> 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 After already... all of that, exactly. yes, yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm asking this from the perspective of somebody who could be listening in and they are contemplating on doing their master's in clinical psychology. Um, what would you what would you advise them on specifically for this process based on your experience and I think having sat in um, a few interviews yourself, if I'm not mistaken? I have. Yeah. Well, one. Yeah. I sat in my first um, selection process this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. I think honesty is obviously key. Mm-hmm. What the selection process is trying to do is eliminate or sort of distinguish between the wounded healers and the walking wounded. So even if... Please elaborate. Even if terrible things have happened to you, how much have you healed from those processes to the extent that if you yourself have lost a parent in a tragic way, Mm. would it be still triggering for you to work with someone who also lost a parent in a triggering way? Or would that your personal experience cloud you from being able to assist someone else? Mm. Um, Mm. Your own personality, how solid your own personality structure is. Mm -hmm. Those are Mm -hmm. all the things that you're trying to distinguish. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I think for anyone who's been in therapy the moments when your therapist makes it about themselves or makes you feel like you are too overwhelming for them. Yeah. Those are things that can be quite traumatic. Sure. But that happens when a psychologist themselves hasn't worked through certain sure. things. Sure. Where they then also make you feel like you are too much or you sure. shouldn't feel a certain way because mm. of their own experience. Mm. So those are the things you try to avoid. Mm. So the week-long process is trying to figure out, obviously in a group setting, you're trying to figure out if there any personality traits that come across that maybe outline parts of you that might not work well in another with other masters people in your class Mm -hmm. but also even with Mm -hmm. other patients Mm -hmm. as well in a group Mm -hmm. setting Mm -hmm. interesting interesting so now it's the end of your master's um year and i'm assuming that you have either done or you're about to do community service how do you then transition into a practicing um, clinical psychologist or a clinical psychologist in training? There are a lot of routes to take, to be honest. I think it's about a person deciding what they want. Mm -hmm. If you want a bit of everything, I think that's the space I'm in. Okay. Where I do appreciate the academic parts, but I love being a clinician as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, tr- I love business as well. So you try to create a rhythm that works for you. Mm-hmm. Some people might just want to be in academia. Mm-hmm. So you go, you apply for a sessional post, you start your PhD immediately after, yeah. and then yeah. you work towards that. Some people might want or appreciate the clinical parts more. So you apply for a hospital or you start your own private practice and you start seeing patients, mm. um, or you want both things together, so you apply for sessional posts. Mm. Um, so those are options for people. I think it just it, it depends on what you want, the kinds of hours you want, yeah. the kind of work you see yourself doing long term, mm. maybe not even long term, the kind of work you see yourself doing there and then. Yeah. You can always change. You can always go back to things. I think that's the benefit of it. Mm. Um, you can always go back to things. You don't really have to decide. You don't have to have a 10-year goal. Yeah. But if you do see yourself as a lecturer, then you already know. 
which mm. way to go. Mm. If you're not sure, then try everything and see what works for you. Mm-hmm. Now, coming back to your journey, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that you've just had to overcome in your journey of becoming um, a practicing clinical psychologist? To becoming a, a psychologist, mm. sure. Um, I think the first one is getting into masters. Mm. And once you're in a masters, believing that you are meant to be there. Sure, sure. Um, that you weren't taken just because you're black or mm. because you're female or because you're a particular mm. age. Mm. So working through that imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me as well, my my age in particular mm-hmm. and even my I guess my appearance. So <laughs> yeah. I used to I used to work at Barra. So, yeah. And I used to work at the clinics as well. And obviously the community clinics, you're seeing a lot of elderly yes. elderly people yes. who are quite forward in their thinking of like what can you t- what can you tell me honestly? <laughs> yeah. Like what yeah. can you tell me You're about like, my child exactly. or possibly my grandchild exactly <laughs> like imagine yeah. i had an interesting case with a very old man mm. i think he, I'm trying to remember which ne- which ethnicity i think it was either zulu or Hutu. i can't remember now mm. um mm. with sexual dysfunction sure so already it's like it's awkward what are we <laughs> and he's he's yeah. already feeling quite emasculated yes. so he's coming in and yes. it's a power play sure. so trying to make me feel the yeah, same way he that probably he's feels in exactly Ooh. so it's working through moments like that because obviously some of the things he's saying are factual mm. i am small i yes. am petite i yes. do look very young mm. um so i think those things as are working through through the fact that I will, a number of patients will come in mm. and look me down and, and size me up mm. and just be like, okay, okay. listen, <laughs> please refer me to someone Somebody else. else. And, but, and that hurts. Yeah, that hurts. I can imagine. And, and I'm about to ask you how, you know, you avoid internalizing that because if you're receiving that kind of feedback in different ways, in different forms, whether it's by a look or somebody, you know, verbally expressing that, um, it can, I guess, affect you to some extent. So mm-hmm. how do you try not to internalize that kind of feedback in, with it not affecting you on, in how you do your job? It's taken a while, but mm. I think now I do understand that I can't be everyone's therapist. And sure. I, I may not work for everyone. Sure. So besides my looks and my appearance, it may also be just how I prefer to work. Mm. And there are people, for example, who, who want you to be very direct. Like, mm. so should I leave him or not? Mm. And <laughs> that's not how I work. Yeah. I want us to think about why you have decided to stay with this particular partner sure. for five years. Sure. And what about this person makes it hard for you to leave and also what parts of you are so decided on the fact that this is all you deserve in life right because it's not an isolated experience Mm. yes it might show more with this partner that you've chosen who's quite abusive or who's not good for you Mm. but it may be showed in the job you chose in the work environments that you've chosen to stay in Mm. the kinds of friends you have the relationships you have with family members who walk all over you Mm. so i I choose to work like that but some people really do want like 
should I leave? Should I not leave? Just mm. tell me what's the right thing to, to do. do. Yeah. And then that's it, right? Mm. Not really wanting to think further than that. Mm. So, for, for yeah, so people like that were very solutions focused. Yeah. Maybe at a certain point in their life, yeah, they not yeah, appreciate yeah. working with someone who wants to think holistically about their behavior mm. and mm. how their life has turned out. Mm. So I think now I appreciate that I'm, I won't work for everyone. Yeah. But initially it hurts. It mm. hurts. Mm. Especially because, I mean, depending on the person that you're working with and the disorder that they have. Yes. If I'm working with someone with, with a like narcissism, for example, yeah, best yeah. be sure that the email they send to say that they're breaking up with me or the communication they send may be quite harsh mm. and demeaning. Mm. So it's, it's hard to not take it personally, but then mm. you also understand this is the kind of person I'm working with sure. and they may be projecting their own fragility onto me. Sure, so I can't walk sure. away thinking that someone, someone who saw me for three mm. sessions... Um, could make a definitive um, thought about me being useless, yeah. completely useless yeah. at my job. Yeah. No. Yeah. It takes time, but yeah. Sure, it sure. It still hurts here sure. and there. That brings me then to the next question about what some of the misconceptions are about um, you know, psychologists or therapists. Um, because as you're speaking, I mean, it's bringing the human back into the psychologist and the therapist and having to speak openly, I guess, about the hurt that could come from that kind of feedback um, humanizes the profession. Mm. Um, so what are some of the misconceptions that you have heard or have picked up in your journey um, that people may have about uh, clinical psychologists? I think a lot of my teens would say, oh, you have to listen to me. You don't care. Um, <laughs> I think that's definitely a misconception. Yeah, that yeah. This is just a, a job. Mm. I think, obviously, when I'm sitting listening to a tragic story, mm. I can't stay unchanged by that. Sure, um, sure. I mean, there's certain stories that you hear, especially as someone who works with children, mm. where you see the worst, worst, worst of humanity mm. and these are things that people are doing to their own family not mm. even strangers mm. um and teens will still sit with you and say something like oh, you don't care and i think even some adults who have felt like no one really has prioritized mm. them throughout their whole life mm. will still come to therapy and still feel like oh, whatever mm. but you probably don't care anyway mm. um so we definitely do care i i do think about my patients and my clients a lot even sure. outside of the therapy room sure to think about the best way to help a treatment plan but also just what it is that they actually need from mm. me from life mm. um so there's that misconception um another misconception is that we're rich because it is, <laughs> it is expensive yeah. i do know therapy is expensive yeah. but i mean obviously there are a lot of other expenses yeah that help me do my job mm -hmm. so something like um my own professional development, mm. being in supervision groups, mm. um, having a supervisor to help me work through complicated cases. Sure, sure. So we're not rich. Yeah. Um, maybe the ones who write books at yes, some point, the yes. royalties from the books. <laughs> but I think from just the one-on-one, there would be a lot. I mean, yeah. there is a lot of money there. Mm. Um, but 
yeah we're not we're not rich interesting interesting speaking of i guess business ventures i want to talk about your initiative journal q um tell us about why you decided to start journal q and maybe for anybody who hasn't come across um your platform what it is and just more about the inspiration behind it so journal q is my covid project baby Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's a business that I started to help people practically think about their mental health mm. on a daily basis. Mm. On a daily basis, I think during COVID time, a lot of people were buying notebooks, mm. and a lot of things that people had sort of pushed under the rug or swept under the rug started to surface, surface yeah. because a lot of our coping skills were abruptly taken away. Mm. You couldn't go to gym. You couldn't mm. go to work. You couldn't. Um, socialize exactly Mm. so now there you were feeling stuck with that thought or those memories from when you were five um, when when those started coming back Mm. and for anyone who tried journaling at that time or anyone who has journaled like Mm. avidly throughout their teen years or even adulthood those people will realize that at some point you do feel like you're getting stuck mm. um, and you don't really know whether you are making progress or not. Mm. So I started Journal Q because then that is a guided journal yeah. which helps you through different mental health challenges yeah. such as grief, anxiety, whatever the case may be, even if you just want to reflect about your life in general. Mm. So you mm. have guided prompts that sort of serve as a masterclass to work you through particular phases of your life. Mm. Um, and that's how it started. Mm. I think generally journaling is a it's a reflective tool, it's an yeah. organizational tool, yeah. it's an expressive tool as well. Yeah. You need yeah. to reflect on your feelings, you need to be able to express your feelings for any viable relationship, mm. but you also need to be able to organize your thoughts and your feelings in a way that makes sense for mm. you so mm. you can manage them better. Yeah, yeah. And what has your experience been since you've started the platform? Obviously, you created it with the intention for it to be consumed, but I can imagine in the process of the creating and of just interacting with people that consume um, the journals that can affect you in some way um, or leave an impression, positive or otherwise. Um, So tell us about your experience has been since you've ventured into this, um, I guess as a business person, but also Mm. more around like your work as a therapist. Mm. I think on the business side, I've definitely learned a lot. Mm. And it's something I've appreciated. Um, I think with the fatigue that I've been feeling recently, I've appreciated the different side of life that I wasn't really trained to do. Okay. So the business side, the marketing side, yeah. the creativity that comes with that, yeah. it definitely pulls me away from my day-to-day thinking, mm-hmm. which I have appreciated. Mm-hmm. In terms of the journals, I think, I mean, the feedback we've received from people who have used them um quite well especially our grief journal i think mm. maybe let me speak on that one but the grief and the anxiety journal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i've had people in tears just from looking at, at it sure. not even having used it yet sure i had i had someone say the grief journal in particular was her lifeline sure. on her most bad worst mm, days mm. um so i definitely appreciate that i have been able to make psychology accessible mm-hmm. in that sense mm-hmm. 
grief is consuming mm. um, anxiety is all consuming as well mm. so if for people to have tools that can help them work through those feelings mm. in a way that reduces the severity and the sure. intensity enough sure. for you to function and to think about your patterns yeah um I, i've I've loved being a part of that. It's mm. really, it's bigger than me. Mm. That's what I've realized. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, and you've touched on two specific journals. I know you've also got a gratitude journal. And then there are some other complementary products. Do you maybe want to take us through just your range of products um, and the different types of journals and potentially even the complementary um, aspects that you have to, comp- to accompany rather um, the journals? Um, so in terms of our product offering, we mm-hmm. have the gratitude journal, mm-hmm. like you said, daily activities for you to try out. I think mm-hmm. with that one, we're trying to make gratitude practical. Yeah, right? I have that we, one and I love it. <laughs> I think people always think that the positive me will be completely different from me somewhere in the future. Yeah, um, But yeah. I think we try to make sure that even today from doing good for someone else mm-hmm. or thinking about loved ones, mm-hmm. you are able to to still have that or develop that positive mindset mm-hmm. even today. Mm-hmm. Then we have the inside out journal. I think okay. that is more of a reflective one. Okay. If anyone is in a phase of their life where they're thinking, okay, like how do all the dots connect? Mm-hmm. Where do I come from? Mm-hmm. Who am I now? And mm-hmm. where do I want to go? And also who are the kinds of people that I want to be with me yeah. in the future yeah. um, with the life that I'm creating for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, we have all the journals that we are reworking. So I have journals for little kitties to help develop their emotional Mm. vocabulary yeah Mm. i think a lot of parents will just say it's hard to access kids at a certain age there's a certain age where you just want want them to keep quiet because they're like (laughs) talking talking so so much much, about like how their day was and where they went (laughs) and then there's a moment where they keep quiet Mm. you ask them how their day was and they're like fine Mm. how are you doing fine Mm. how was school okay yeah so i think a lot of parents struggle with that adjustment and obviously for kids it's about learning like what are feelings yes um what do i say about the kids who didn't want to play with me on the playground that's a feeling right i felt left out i felt hurt yeah and so there's that one then there's the anxiety one there's also a grief one that i've spoken about Mm -hmm. um we are trying to add on more accessories. So we have feelings wheels to help yes, you yes. decide and sort of find a label for what you are yeah, feeling, right? Yeah. If you label it correctly, you're able to manage it more sure, effectively. Sure, sure. And then there's other products that we will be releasing, hopefully February yeah. for for the relationships. Yeah, interesting, yeah. interesting. So how do you start journaling i think a lot of people who may have not dabbled into it don't know how to start because it can be i guess a bit intimidating um so what would you then advise um as a starting point to develop that practice and that habit of writing your thoughts your feelings and your experiences down mm-hmm. i think you start by starting okay, okay. um <laughs> you get a a blank piece of paper and you start writing mm. um a common or common pitfalls would be that your thoughts sort of race 
and it's hard to pin the thoughts down because they're moving faster than your hand. Sure. So a lot of people then become flustered yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, sometimes you feel blank mm-hmm. or you just feel stuck because you're not sure how to expand on certain experiences or or thoughts or feelings. Mm. Um, but I think the common or rather what I would advise is to start. Mm. You find your rhythm as as the frequency increases. Yeah. And you you try to not censor yourself. Mm-hmm. So to not judge yourself. Sometimes thought sometimes the the thoughts come out as you're writing and yeah. you're like, whoa, Ooh. I didn't know I felt like that. <laughs> There's <laughs> intrusive thoughts. Exactly. Well, I didn't know that was there. Yeah. Um yeah. so you, tr- you try to not judge it. And yeah. be like, oh no, I definitely can't I can't feel like this to my mom. Mm. I have to be grateful because mm. she's done so much for mm. me. But then there's like repressed anger sure. that you actually haven't even given yourself time sure. to think about. Sure. That may come up if you just free associate. Yeah. Just whatever comes out, do not censor it. Write it down as long as it takes. Yeah. As long as your hand is not cramping. <laughs> you just write yeah. it down. I think that's the best way to start. To start After yeah. a while, mm. you can look back at that and mm-hmm. see what patterns have come up mm-hmm. then you get to sort of re- see what you can reduce from that mm. um, or deduce from from what you've written mm-hmm. mm. and more I guess in the professional sense how do you think journal or journaling rather can help you you know improve your personal and your professional um, life and also more specifically around the emotional intelligence that one would need to navigate um, a workplace. What role does journaling play in that? Mm. I mean, I think like like I've said, it is an organizational tool. Mm. It's, it's a tool that's an expressive tool. It's mm-hmm. also a reflective tool. Mm. So I definitely think we can't take for granted your ability to be able to think about your own experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, express those experiences to someone else and be able to organize it for yourself. Mm. So I think there's that. Because if you think about it, in our day-to-day life, there are certain things that are priorities because we need to survive. Mm -hmm. Jobs, Mm. certain relationships, certain responsibilities that Mm. take precedence. But how many people on a day-to-day basis get to check in with themselves Mm. and just see, like... um, by the time 9 a.m. hit, I was almost involved in an accident. Mm. I got into a fight with a taxi driver sure, on the road. Sure. My HO, my head of department didn't want to hear me out with my business idea. Mm. Um, the bank sent me a scary SMS or SAR sent me a scary <laughs> SMS. Yeah. And that's all happened between nine. But yeah. you're in a very like fast-paced world where mm. we don't have time to really digest. You're mm. always taking things in, mm. but we don't chew. We don't mm. swallow and we don't definitely don't mm. digest. Mm. So I think there's something about being able to slow down long enough for the experiences you have sure. to actually um, impact you in a positive way, in yeah. a mindful way. Yeah. But that's not something we are afforded. And yeah. that's not something we give ourselves time for as well mm-hmm. because there, mu- there will, must be food that must be cooked. Mm. There must be whatever else that needs to be done, deadlines mm. that take precedence over the fact that should I really think about how that whole interaction with that mm. taxi driver actually yeah. um, affected me? Because maybe you were shaking for the next 
two hours yeah. and you weren't even aware of that yeah. because you were so scared. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, I think definitely helps you to slow down because mm. a lot of us don't have that. We don't have that space. Mm, mm. I think another thing as you were talking that came up for me is just how it helps with self-regulation. So regulating your emotions and that is such an important component of emotional intelligence, specifically mm-hmm. within the workplace. Um, I mean, if you're moving like from one meeting to another, one screaming match, <laughs> you know, from one client to another, it can affect, I guess, your emotional um, state. And it is important, like you said, to then slow down and reflect back on how does this make me feel and also empower you for the next time that you interact with that client, with that stakeholder, and how you can manage that situation. Because, mm. so, I mean, with something mm, like that, so you'd find that you wouldn't really assess how yeah. much those back-to-back meetings with pure aggression had impacted you mm-hmm. until at night when you're trying to sleep sure when you realize that i'm actually quite wired up sure and i've been wired up from back-to-back meetings where mm-hmm. i've had to fight and i had to be hyper vigilant mm-hmm. the whole time and now my body can't calm down long enough for me to fall asleep because i'm still wired up there's still that sense of hyper arousal um so what would calm you down i mean people have different things that they use to help them sleep but no one would actually think okay let me think about my day it's just ugh, i'm so frustrated that i can't sleep Mm. and i can't sleep and you try various things to help you sleep Mm. but not even thinking about okay maybe i'm struggling to sleep because those five meetings one in particular really set me off yeah because i feel like i've just been on edge the whole day yeah yeah and journaling then gives you then that space, right? Exactly. To be able to process that stimulus mm-hmm. and arrive at a point where I guess you can even um, get to have a healthier response to situations like that without it being um, an impact or affecting you in future. So, so yeah, I think journaling as somebody who does it <laughs> uh, helps me in that regard. And that's um, why I guess I was able to just add a bit more color to that. So anybody who's listening um, and would like to get themselves a copy of your journal, where can they find it? Um, how much is it if you're able to share that? Uh, and yeah, where can we follow you also on, on social media? So we currently have the Inside Out Journal, mm-hmm. which is the transformation sort of reflective journal and the gratitude journal available. Mm-hmm. Those are both 450. We had a sale this month, but mm-hmm. it's the last day of the month. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It probably will be like a Black Friday one or mm-hmm. a um, festive holiday sale as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're currently going for 450. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, okay. And where can we find them? Is there a website? Can we order from your Instagram page? Um, how do we get in contact with you to get a copy? So if you go on our Instagram page, if you go to our profile, you can click on the link and that will lead you to our website. Mm-hmm. But you can also go straight to the website, which is www.journalq.co.zm. And the Instagram page is? Journal Q, at journal underscore Q. Okay, okay. And in closing, as a wellness practitioner yourself, what does wellness mean to you? And specifically at this time of the year where people are struggling with your end fatigue and burnout and anticipating the festive season for some rest and recuperation. What does wellness mean for you? 
but also what can wellness look like as you try to slow things down and to rest and recuperate after a long and stressful year. So wellness for me is a a well-integrated system. Mm. So you are factoring in your emotional, mental, social, um, physical capacities. Mm -hmm. And none of those capacities are neglected. Sure. You're integrating all of that, Mm. right? I think one can't exist without the other. Mm. So you can't be a well person if physically you are sick Mm. um, or unhealthy Mm. and you can't be a well person if you have no healthy relationship sure to account for Mm. um so i think for me it's it's about that and at this time of the year Mm -hmm. it's about knowing what needs to take a back seat and what do i need to optimize in Mm. order for me to be well keeping these four components in mind Mm. so work might be picking up because maybe it's just end of the year wrap-up time Mm. um but something that helps you keep sane in terms of work is exercise so you amp up those and you may say okay in terms of friends and socializing maybe that can decrease a a bit a bit Um, And in terms of emotional wellness, I make sure that the socializing I'm doing and the friends that I am interacting with are those that actually fuel me emotionally and people that are sounding boards for me. So you just strategize in terms of where Mm. you are prioritizing the most time and effort, but keeping in mind that all of these components do need to be factored in. You can't then say, okay, I'm just going to focus on work. As soon as December hits, Mm. then I can focus on everything Mm. else. It doesn't work like that. Sure, sure. And it does sound like um, continuous self-examination or reflection of where else you can, you know, plug in, increase, Mm. decrease, and to just be more well-integrated, as you say, so that you show up better for yourself. Um, Asanda, thank you so much. Thank you once again. Like I said at the beginning of this recording, that this was our second take. (laughs) And I think it is a second because it is also better (laughs) than possibly (laughs) the first one. Um, So thank you for your time. Thank you just for your insight. And thank you for listening. If you have been tuned in to season two of Wellness in the Workplace, thank you so much for being so loyal. Uh, It has been quite a long season. We've had quite a number of guests on the podcast started off with a whole series around the HR perspective uh, with Winnie Wadansta at the beginning of the year and then picked up with this series, My Career Story, and we are closing it out for the year. Thank you so much for your continued support on the socials, on the podcast, on YouTube. If you're subscribed, you're a listener. Thank you so much. My name is Malim Zinyane, and I will catch you on the next season of Wellness in the Workplace. Take care.